Amen. Higher ground. That's where we want to be. You know, for the last six or seven years, I don't remember exactly, uh, every July and August in this congregation, we have what we call summer series. And what we do is we invite nine preachers from across the world. They come in here and they're assigned a topic and they preach to us. And for the last seven, six or seven years we've done this, we've always picked a hymn and all the sermon titles came from that hymn. Well, yesterday, the preachers and the elders met to talk about next year. We're mapping out what we're going to do for next year. And the song we've chosen for next year's summer series is Higher Ground. And you all sang that so well, so that's going to be awesome. And so we'll be busy in the next few months calling preachers, see if they can come and line up for us what we're going to do. But this is a big part of our family here. We really love that. And that song will mean so much to us as we introduce our theme at the coming of the year and several things along that line. So good to have you with us today. I just knew it was going to rain today because I washed my car yesterday, you know. And I hand wash it. Usually I go through the car, you know, the car wash, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to just hand wash this thing. I haven't hand washed a car in a long time. I spent a long time doing that, and it just rained on me today, but that's okay. That's okay. We're so glad you could be with us today. Lots of things going on in our family. It's good to see Gary Carroll back with us. Had surgery, and he's back where he wants to be, and that is encouragement to all of us. A lot of our church families needing some help. And again, we need to remind ourselves about that and to pray about them. Best day of the week, as Zach said, today we gather, today we remember, and today we praise the Lord. This day started with choices. You had a lot of choices. You woke up this morning. Probably went to the pantry, and am I going to do Fruit Loops or eat something healthy today? That was a choice you made. You went to your closet, and what am I going to wear today? And that was a choice. And if you're like Jim Buss, you go and pick out blue socks. You're like me, you pick out the wild socks, but that's a choice you make. You came into this building, you had to decide where you're going to sit, that's a choice. Life is made up of lots of lots of choices, and these choices can dictate lots of things in our lives. I want to begin this morning in the book of Philippians chapter 1, read verse 9 and 10 with you, Philippians 1 verse 9 and 10, and then the heart of our lesson today is going to come from the book of Acts and we're going to see how some folks came to a decision. You see, some of the choices in life you make really don't matter. I mean, next week, whether you ate Cheerios today or Fruitless, probably is not going to make a big difference. And you probably won't even remember that. Whether you wore plain blue socks like Jim Buss does or you wear wild socks like me really doesn't matter. But some of our choices do matter. You're dating somebody. And you decide, this is the one. I'm going to pop the question. That's a big decision. And when that question is popped, am I going to say yes, or am I going to say never ever? That's a decision you have to make. Your career choice is a decision you make. And some of the choices we make in life, they can govern the type of people we become. You see these little signs all over the community, be kind. Why? Because we're living in times where people are not kind. And that is a lifestyle. That is a choice you make. And so when we think about choices, some choices really don't matter. Some choices really matter, especially about Jesus. So here in the book of Philippians, in chapter 1, 
the apostle says this in verse 9, verse 10. He says, In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Discernment, insight, being able to see things correctly. Philip says this in his translations. He says, I want you to be able to recognize the highest and the best choice. Sometimes in life we just wish God would just tell me. God, should I go this way or should I go that way? But God doesn't do that for us. And sometimes we just say, I hope I make the right decision. I hope I make the best decision. And so today we're going to look in the book of Acts in chapter 15. And what we're going to see is it begins with a major disagreement. There was a problem. People have different opinions, different thoughts about things. And this was huge. This was a major earthquake in the movement of Jesus Christ. The direction this would go would determine everything. And what we see in the midst as we study Acts chapter 15, we see two lessons that come out. How did they come to the right decision? Now, at the end of our lesson, I'm going to give you three points. I'm not on your outline. They're not going to be on a PowerPoint. I just taught them up this morning about 5 o'clock, so didn't have time to put them in there. But three ways we're going to talk about at the very end here how to make these right decisions. Let's begin now in Acts 15 and read the first six verses here. Acts 15, verse six, 1 through 6. It says, And some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail, detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, verse 4 says, when they received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported that all that God had done to them. But certain ones of the sect of the Pharisees who believed stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Verse 6 says, and the apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. Basically, what was on the table was you must become a Jew first, then you become a Christian. If you, by, if you bypass that and just become a Christian first, that's not right. And so there's, a, there's an area of discussion and debate taking place among this. And I want you to notice what's said in verse 1. Verse 1 says simply, unless you are, you cannot. And we understand that in different areas. Unless you have a license, you cannot fly an airplane. Unless you have passed the boards, you cannot practice law. Unless you are a policeman, you cannot put a red light on top of your car and pull someone over. You don't do those things. And so that was, this was a discussion taking place here. And the consequences of this were major. Because Paul, at the end of chapter 14, had been up in Gentile country preaching the gospel. And he's been baptizing, starting churches. But nothing was said about circumcision. Nothing was said about you be a Jew first, then we will save you. And so what that meant was all these churches possibly could be wrong. And possibly all these people who thought they were saved may not be saved. And what this meant was all those sermons Paul had been preaching may have been false. And what this meant was Paul 
was spreading error. And so at stake here, of course, was the idea of fellowship. Are the Gentiles in fellowship with us or not? Evangelism. Now, do we need to go back to those places that Paul had been to and reteach these people and now rebaptize these people because it wasn't right? And unity was at stake here. And so what I want you to notice here is I want you to notice what came about. We begin now in verse 7, and we notice what takes place is they noticed what the apostles were doing. Look at verse 7, and then also look at verse 12. It says, and after there had been much debate, Peter stood up with them and says, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by the mouth of Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Paul would say in verse 12, and all the multitude kept silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what they did among the Gentiles. What we see taking place here is, first of all, what did the apostles do? And Peter tells them that God had sent him to the Gentiles. You take your Bible, turn back about three chapters, if you will, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. This takes place in Cornelius' uh, this is the story of Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, notice verse 1. There's a certain man, Acts 10 verse 1, at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion in what's called the Italian cohort. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave many alms to the Jewish people, and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just came in and said to him, Cornelius, fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he says, What is it, Lord? He said to him, Your prayers and your arms have, alms have ascended to heaven as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men, verse 5, to Joppa, send for a man named Simon, who's also called Peter. What he's saying is, I went to this man because it was divinely sent. God, through this angel, through this vision, told me to go talk to this man. In the next following verses here, Peter has a vision. And God has shown them that all animals, all things are now clean. And that the Gentiles were not uh, a race such as that they should be despised or not looked upon. So when you go to chapter 11 of the book of Acts... And we look in verse 14, as Peter's telling the story again, it says in verse 13, verse 14, it says, And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa to Simon, who is called Peter, have brought here, that he may speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. What's going to save him? Words. What's going to save him? Jesus. Nothing is said about being circumcised. Nothing is said that you be a Jew first, then you can become a Christian. That's the first thing said here. The second thing that takes place is that the Apostle Paul talks about the mighty works that God had been doing through the Gentiles. He talks about the miracles that were taking place and how through these miracles, God was showing his power and God was expressing these things to these people. And again, emphasizing, as we see once again in Acts 15 and verse 12, as it says this, and the multitudes kept silent and they were listening to, Paul, to Barnabas and Paul as they're relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. God sent Peter. God is working through Paul. The point of all this is, look what happened among the apostles. Now, we got this discussion. We got this disagreement. You think left, I think right. What's the answer? The first thing they said is, what happened among the apostles? And we appreciate that because the Bible teaches us 
for the role the apostles would have. Matthew 16, Jesus would say, I'll give you keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. They had a certain role and a certain authority. Paul would say in the book of 1 Corinthians that the things I write are the Lord's commandments. He'd also say in the book of Philippians, the things you heard and seen and received in me, practice these things. What the apostles did matters. But now the second thing that comes out of this discussion is, just what does the Bible teach? Just what does the Bible teach? And so beginning in verse 15, they quote from the Old Testament. And this quotation comes about in verse 17 where it says that all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known to all men. The point of all that was, again, emphasizing that in prophecy, God had deemed that the Gentiles would be saved as they are. So we we go back to the book of Genesis and the promise of Abraham, where in him, through his seed, all the nations, all the families of the earth would be blessed. The next prophecy also says all the nations in chapter 22. Jesus would say in John chapter 10, I have sheep not of this fold. Now the conclusion of all this simply was, we do not feel like the Gentiles have to change. They don't have to be circumcised. They don't have to become Jews. They don't have to practice the law of Moses. God will forgive them just as he forgave the Jews based on their faith and their baptism in Jesus Christ. That was what came about those things. Now, what's interesting when you look at this is we notice that no one voted. Now, a lot of your Bibles, Acts 15, will say at the top, the Jerusalem Council. And when we think about a council, we think about getting delegates and we're voting on something. No one voted on anything here. No one counted which side had the most people. Well, now, there's more people in favor of the Jews, so we ought to favor them because they're a bigger group. No one counted anybody. No one suggested letting each person decide for himself. Let's just, let, let's just not decide. You decide what's right for you, I decide what's right for me. No one said it really doesn't matter. No one said, I'll find a church that believes the way I think. No one said everyone has their own interpretation. No one says, here's what I think. No one said, in my church, this is what we do. You see, as Jason preached last Sunday evening about Acts 17, verse 11, they searched the scriptures to see whether these things were so. Now, very interesting, Mr. Roger. Why do I care about this? Why does this matter to me? We're not Jewish, Gentile things. We're not concerned about circumcision today. So why does this even matter? Well, let me ask you a question. Are you saved? Well, I think so. Well, how do you mean, I think so? Like you took a math test? How'd you do on a test? Well, I think I did okay. And we'll just find out, won't we? Is that how you want your eternal life to be destined? I hope I make it. I'm not sure. You see, and and right with us, we'd put this thought here. What about being baptized? Well, here's what I think about baptism. If a guy wants to do it, it's okay, but I'm not going to tell somebody he has to. It ought to be up to each person. That's where you and I are at today. But what did the apostles teach? Everywhere they went, they preached Jesus Christ, and that included baptism. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. He that believeth and is baptized. What does the scriptures teach? You see what I'm saying? And so when we look at Acts 15, 
It's a model for how we decide things. Now, it's not going to tell us, should I wear blue socks or crazy socks? No. It's not going to tell me Fruit Loops or Cheerios. No. But it is going to tell me, how do I walk with Jesus Christ? It is going to tell me whether I'm saved or not. So in your Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 John, if you will. 1 John chapter 5. I want you to notice how specific the Bible is about these things. 1 John chapter 5. Notice what it says in verse 13. 1 John 5, verse 13. These things, he says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know you have eternal life. Do you know you're saved? Well, I hope so. I felt pretty good this morning when I woke up. No, it's not a feeling, is it? It's not a hope so. You look at what the apostles did. You look at what the Bible teaches. There's your answer. That's how we come to these great conclusions in life. What about worship? Does it matter how we worship? All across this land, there are praise teams. All across this land, there's rock and roll in church services. All across this land, there's coffee shops and churches. Man, wouldn't that be cool? I, you know, here's what I think we ought to do. Well, here's what I think we ought to do. Well, here's what we did in my old church. Well, well, I went to a church one time, and they were doing that. That's really cool. How do we decide? What did the apostles do? What does the scriptures teach? You see what I'm saying? When we come to these big decisions in life, sometimes we let our feelings govern us. Sometimes it's, here's what I want. Here's what I think, rather than looking at the scriptures along these things. What's the church supposed to do? Well, I think we ought to be more active in the community. I think we ought to be helping the homeless. I think we ought to be helping the, the battered women. I think we ought to be doing this. I think, I think, I think, I think. Do you hear that? What did the apostles teach? What does the Bible say? You see how we come to these answers? In Acts 15, should, the, should these Gentiles be circumcised or not? Well, here's what I think. Here's what I want. Doesn't matter. The apostles spoke, and then they looked in the Bible. That's how we come to conclusions. What about moral issues? That's real touchy today. I mean, who am I to say, if you're in love, you can't get married? Who am I to say, even if you're the same sex, you shouldn't do that? Who am I to say that if you look like a guy, but you say you're a girl, who am I to say that's wrong? I mean, whatever a guy wants, a guy wants. What did the apostles say? What does the Bible teach? You see where we're seeing all these things? And so we live in times where our feelings are driving the car. We live in times where, well, this is what I like. This is what I want. And when we come to a major, major disagreement in the Bible, Acts 15, how did they handle that? They went to the voice of the apostles what were you doing? And what they saw was God was working through them. Who's to say what Peter did was wrong because God sent Peter? Who's to say Paul was wrong because God was doing miracles through Paul? They were God approved. And then what did the scriptures teach? And when we look at that, that comes to the conclusion we need to reach. So from this, we find some things. Number one, we come to the superior position of the Bible. The Bible is a superior position. Now, when it comes to our Bible, there are four lies Satan wants you to know about your Bible. 
First thing he wants you to know is the Bible's too big to bother with. It's a fat book. And who has time to read that fat book? And so Satan wants you to see that. And Satan wants you to think, you know what? You can't do that. But do you know that more than 40 books of the Bible, more than 40 books of the Bible, more than half of them, can be read in 20 minutes or less? The Bible's not that big, really. Satan wants you to know that the Bible's too old to matter. I mean, the Bible was written before computers, before cell phones. There was no social media. There was no Twitter. There was no Facebook. And, and this book is supposed to tell me when those things weren't even known? Yeah, because God is the God of all times. And then some will tell you that the Bible's too boring to enjoy. And yet we'll watch an adventure movie on TV, and there's adventure in here. We'll watch a romance movie, and there's romance in here. And there's challenging things, and it speaks to our heart. And some, the devil tell them that it's just too confusing to be helpful, but it's not. And so look in the book of Galatians in chapter 1, where again we find the superior position of the Bible. Paul would say, I'm amazed you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Jesus Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Even if we, we being the apostles, even if we or an angel from heaven comes down, he says, and preaches to you something contrary to this, the word he uses be accursed. What that, what that really means is, may he be damned. May he be lost. And so when this comes to an angel, well, you know what, Brother Shiles? I had a vision last night, and an angel told me this. Bible comes before an angel. Well, you know what? I, I heard this preacher, and he's the best-known preacher in the world, and he says this. The Bible comes before this. The Bible comes before anything the apostles would say afterwards that doesn't line up with this. This is the superior position of the Bible. Now, right here, we should see crumbling all around us is this little idea of, well, here's what I think. I've always heard those things don't matter, do they? Here's how I feel. Doesn't matter, does it? What matters is what does God say about these things? In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul would say it this way. He says, love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If tongues, they will cease. If it's knowledge, it'll be done away with. We know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. The perfect there is not Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus is perfect, but that's not the story here. The story is the complete nature of God's word. Once we have all the Bible, we don't need somebody with a spiritual gift here. I don't need Isaiah to stand up here and say, well, you know what? God gifted me, and I can tell you what's in Philippians. Sit down, son, I got Philippians. Once we got it all, we don't need these gifts. So the Bible is above spiritual gifts. That's the position we see. And so once again, when it comes to these big decisions in my life, who I should marry, what I should do, where I should live, what congregation am I going to be a part of, I need to be looking in the Bible. And not going by what my family says. Not going by what feels good to me. I like it. I have to have it. It must be right. Is not the answer to go by. Second thing we find in all this is, of course, a common faith that unites all believers. And Paul would express this so well in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, as he talked about these very social differences that came up there in Acts 15. In Galatians chapter 3, for you are all baptized in Christ Jesus, clothe yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. 
neither slave nor free man, neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. We're not college graduate and didn't go to college. We're not American and European. We're not country and city. All those things blend together in simply being a child of God. This common faith unites us. And then there's a clear expectation, a clear understanding of what God wants us to do. And so in Ephesians 5, verse 17, tells us, Do not be unwise, but know the will of God. It is concerning to me to hear more and more people saying more and more things, such as, This is how I see it. This is what I want. And what follows are no verses, no scriptures, no concepts of the apostles, making big decisions only based upon their feelings. Now, having said that, I'm going to share with you three things now. This is what I came up with this morning. Three things that can help you make a wise decision. Three things. Number one, and this is not on your note card, just write this down somewhere. Number one, we must look from the end backwards. Look from the end backwards. About everything we do in life, we start here and we're looking forward. We buy some stock, hoping that it will go in value. We go to college to get a degree so we get a job, but through that process, we may decide, I don't like that degree, I don't like that type of job, where most of our decisions are here looking forward. But if we start at the end and look backward, that helps with our decisions. I want to go to heaven. That's the end. If that's what I want more than anything else, then I look backwards, and I see how those decisions shape that. You ever do one of those mazes? You know, we got a lot of grandkids, and we take them to places where they get the Happy Meals and all these little kids' meals, and on the, on the little sacks, there's always a maze. And I hate mazes, you know? So I found a way to make all mazes work. I start at the end, then you work backwards. And, and, and you do it every time. It goes real easy. Okay? I don't come to these dead ends. I just follow that maze from the, back, from the finish line, go backwards. That's how you do it in life. You want to go to heaven? then what kind of person am I going to spend my life with to help me get there? Oh, man, I didn't think about that. What kind of life am I going to live to help me get there? What kind of people are going to surround me to help me get there? What kind of church am I going to attend to help me get there? What kind of movies am I going to watch to help me get there? What kind of people, what kind of literature? Everything you made, you look at the end there, and that's I want to go to heaven. You start there. They go backwards. Number two, what helps you make decisions? What helps you make decisions is you must look from the inside out. From the inside out. I had a friend several years ago who had multiple bypass surgery. They opened up his chest. They cut his legs. They took veins out of his legs, put them in his chest. And for the rest of his life, he had those scars. But on the inside, his heart was made better. And what we think about when we consider that very idea is on the outside, if I make all my decisions on the outside, it's based upon how I feel. I get up in the morning, look outside and say, it's raining. You know what? Ugh, good day. Stay home. I don't want to do nothing. That's an outside decision. Outside decision, I don't think it's going to make me happy, so I'm not going to do it. I don't feel like it. I'm not going to do it. That's all outside. 
inside, what's the right thing to do? What does God want me to do? Does God say, you know, it's raining, stay home? Does God say, you know what? This is not going to make you happy, so you don't have to do it. Does God ever say, this is tough, so I'll give you a pass? The right thing to do is from the inside. The right thing to do is based upon God. So you make your decision. First of all, I want to go to heaven. Secondly, from the inside, what does God want me to do? And then the third way you make a decision, the third step here, is you look from the top down. You look at it from heaven's perspective. From my perspective, the guy with the most money, the most cars, the biggest house, the biggest screen TV, he's the guy that wins. That's earth looking up. Heaven looking down says that stuff doesn't matter. What matters is walking with Jesus. So we say all that to say every day you're making choices. One of my choices was I didn't bring an umbrella today. I'm hearing it out there. You know, that was a choice, Mr. Roger. I didn't bring that, okay? May have to borrow somebody's. Some of your choices really won't matter. Some of these choices a week from now you will not remember. Some of these choices in a decade from now does not matter. But there are choices you will make that can determine whether you go to heaven or not. Young men, there are choices you make from now until you get older that can determine whether a congregation will say you're worthy to serve as a shepherd or not. The choices you make in life can open that door or close that door. The choices we make in life, and if we're making our choices as society's teaching us, it's just based upon what I want and how I feel, we will likely make the wrong choices. And I hope from this lesson we can see the basis of our choices, the big choices in our life. As Victor was baptized last Sunday, should I be baptized in Jesus? That's not a feeling decision. That's top down. That's inside out. That's looking at the end, looking forward. The idea that I want to go to heaven. I will be baptized. I will choose the right person to walk through life with. I will choose the things that really matter in life. And how you do that is by looking in your Bible. What did the apostles do? What do the scriptures teach? Simple lesson, but so valuable for us. It is disappointing in life to see so many people making wrong choices. Choices that's going to hurt them morally. Choices that's going to mess them up for decades and decades. Not thinking, just going by the moment. And when that happens, it cripples us spiritually. So, making the right choices. Take a look at these things, as Acts chapter 15 teaches us. If we can help you in any way, the best choices you can make is, I have decided to follow Jesus. And when you make that decision, a lot of your choices in life are made up. They're already decided. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm going to be where Jesus is. I'm going to do what Jesus wants me to do. I'm going to follow those footprints of Jesus. And you get so close to Jesus, you can touch him. That's what you do. You follow him. And so when you go through those valleys and it's dark and scary, Jesus is right in front of you. I can sense him. And when you go through periods of life and you're just not sure what I should do, I look to what Jesus would tell me in the Bible. I would look to what God wants me to do. And those are the things that's going to shape your life and govern your heart. I have decided 
to follow Jesus. Have you? Won't you come as we stand, as we sing?